Welcome to Relatable AF with Heather and Steph. We are just two best friends navigating their self-help past, present-day issues, affinity for Real Housewives and pop culture, and other smart girl shit. Let's get into this week's episode. All right. So this episode, we're going to finish up the Hollis timeline. I mean, it's been pretty well documented, so we're going to move pretty quick through uh, what happened in 2020 and 2021. And then we're going to read some of the stories from the Reddit thread that I posted about a month ago and emails that we received. But before we do that, we want to have a little girl talk. So Heather, what's something you have watched recently that we should all know about? That's so funny is I, I proposed this idea to you and I actually didn't think about it. Um, (laughs) Oh, you know what we watched last night? The first three episodes of the new fresh Prince of Bel-Air on Peacock. Oh my God. It's so good. It looks so dramatic. It is extreme. Well, it is, but there's so many nods to like the old school fresh Prince, like millennials But is it funny? Um, like the old one, because I get the sense it's like more dramatic, like it's more drama. It than... plays way more into social issues of today, but yeah. the parallel, I think you will find comedy in it if you watch the original, because you'll know what they're playing off of. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. But it's not, yeah. it is not meant, I don't think it's meant to be a comedy at all. Right. Like, does anyone do a Carlton dance? Like, are we going to get a... Oh, no. Oh, No. I mean, yeah, Carlton, see, Carlton in this version, no spoiler, because you find out in like episode two as a pretty serious Xanax habit and not like Aww. taking them. He's like sniffing it in his um, walk-in closet. That's about twice the size of my office, but, but it's good. What did you okay. watch? What did you um, watch? Love is blind. I'm obsessed. Well, I binge watched the whole thing over the weekend. Well, they only, this Netflix is starting to do this. It's a really good marketing strategy, but as a consumer, I do not like it where they dropped half the episodes. No, I was going to watch it. And I thought, oh, this is going to be perfect because I can sit one day and just watch the whole thing and binge it. So when's the other half drop? I think Friday. Oh, okay. so when, if you're listening to this, the other half, I think has already dropped or it's dropping. Um, so they did like the first five. I don't, I think what's frustrating to me about Netflix is they pick and choose like for the circle, also a big fan of submitted an audition tape for it. Actually (laughs) recently. Yeah. Tried to find like casting directors on TikTok and follow them. (laughs) There's quite a few, there's a community of casting directors on TikTok. And because I think I've sent you one too, or I was like, look, they're casting. (laughs) Trying to get me to sign up for the amazing race with you, which for anybody that knows me, for anybody who knows me that like, I, I did something this weekend and it was the first time I left the house in like a minute. Yeah. Or so the fact that you think I could, but brought around like the I world thought it was the is... perfect pitch, like two friends who had never met. We've never met in person. We've met through right. TikTok. And now we are going to try and conquer the amazing race together. I thought it was I can't conquer my week. 
I can't conquer a Monday and you think that I'm going to run around the world with you. Well, you also have phobias that I think would limited us a lot in the challenges, but that's what makes us a perfect pair. Cause you have like the one that's scared to do everything. And you have the other one who's yelling at them. Like, no, Heather, you just have to go. You have to do it. I want to know the therapist that you're going to pick for me to work out all of my trauma that you dump on me during this amazing race. We did not submit an audition tape, so we are not coming to the amazing race anytime soon. But that was my thought process with that. But anyway, I watched Love is Blind. It was okay. I feel like last year's cast was better. I don't know. Mm. I think the couples, um, I don't know if any of them will make it. Interesting. Yeah. Whereas like last, have you seen season one? Yes. The Hamilton. I have strong thoughts. Maybe that can be an episode. Once I watch Love is Wine season two, we can do a compare and contrast from season one. Yeah. And maybe I'll go watch season one again because I kind of, I kind of miss it. But did you um, watch the get together after the fact? Yeah. I didn't Uh, like that either. Interesting. I I like the pods. And so I feel like as soon as they get out of the pods, I'm a little like, well, you also watch everything devolve. And I think that's okay, no spoilers. Like, it's no spoilers. No, it's just natural. Like even people who are gonna make like even the Hamiltons, well, the Hamiltons didn't have that many issues, but even couples that have made it, like when right. they get in person, it's like, oh, you don't eat fish? Like, oh, this is a problem. Or like the smoker. I sleep on time. the left side of the bed. You can't yeah. sleep on the left side of the bed. Exactly. So you just kind of see real life, but that's what I watch. So what's one thing you did this week? Okay. So I, I am so happy about this. I know. So, <laughs> so for Valentine's day, it wasn't really for Valentine's day. I've been dropping hints to my husband for a minute that like, I, I really haven't left the house and I really think it's probably weighing on me mentally. It's been a rough 2022. I'm staying positive, but it's been a rough year. Um, but he took me to the garden store and we got plants. We got plants for the backyard, which I planted myself with an ax, which I think is commendable. And I showed Steph my new potted house plants. She's pulling up her plant for those of you who are listening and not watching on YouTube and not watching. (laughs) So I told Steph how happy I was. I got like six plants for inside the house. And she said, wow, you really did a lot of work. I can't believe how much work you did potting those plants inside. And I said, I know for those who are watching, I bought a pot, um, or listening and not watching. I bought a pot and the plants came in their own pot. So I just put, put their pot in the bot pot and now I've potted plants and they're making me happy. So that's something that I did this week that I'm very proud of. Maybe yeah. one day I'll actually pop them. They're very cute. Very. What cute. did you do this week? So this is not fun. Uh, this is grown up stuff. I we're getting ready to list our house, and so I sent Heather a lot of pictures this weekend. Of I went through everything in our kitchen and got rid of a lot. I also had to make more cabinet space for things that were out because when you list and you like take the pictures you want to make sure like all the counters are clear and it's not cluttered. So a lot of stuff we're still actively using. So then it's like, well, then I got to hide it somewhere. Right. So it was a lot of that. And then 
probably the one thing that made the biggest difference is I had like a coffee center. So I had mugs on the wall. I had a bar cart, which was really more a coffee cart because we drink more coffee than alcohol in this house. And it was just, it had all of our machines, had my espresso, had my kettle, had everything. So I had to get rid of all of that because the realtor told me it just took up too much space and too much clutter. Yeah. So that all got out of the house. I sold my bookcases for those of you who follow me on TikTok for a while. You probably saw my bookcases in the background. Well, I sold those because again, they made the room too small. They crowded the room in the guest bedroom. So yeah, so I cleaned out all of that and got the bookcases out and just a lot of adult things. I didn't realize we could do a whole episode on this because now um, if you listen to Be There in Five, which I'm a big fan of, Kate Kennedy is in a moving journey and she wasn't sure if she wanted to buy a house or not. Well, we did buy a house. We've been five years in this house. It's looking like we're not going to make that much money off the sale of the house. And it's a lot of work to list a house. So I am becoming pro renter like every day, every day. I think it's just so hard. I think it's like, I thought about this the other day. Do you ever think about moving out of where you live? That's a conversation for a different day. (laughs) Yeah. Because we never know where we're going to settle. Even in the next town, we have no idea how long we will live there. My husband could get a different job and they change his territory and then we would move. And so buying is just really difficult when you don't know how much time you have somewhere. Right. So anyway, I'm dealing with adult things and I got over COVID, which is Yay. great. Yes. But I, uh, I unfortunately via Zoom. Yeah. Unfortunately, she decided to uh, hand it to me in our last podcast. <laughs> I don't have COVID, but my 10-year-old daughter has now had it twice in the last two and a half months. So that's fun. Yeah. Um, Rough uh, that's yeah. I, I was talking to Steph uh, Monday and I had so much after planning all those plants and doing all the things I was so hopeful and so ready for Monday. And by Monday at noon, I was like, I, it's not Friday. It's not done, but it's yeah. okay. It's all, yeah. everybody's doing. Okay. We're going to get through right. it just fine. Right. And I think that's kind of how a lot of people feel going through the pandemic is we can't make plans. This is why I think a lot of self-help people, their stuff just doesn't like hit people the right way anymore because it's like, don't tell me to do more or be more when I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I could be sick. Someone else, we might have to quarantine. I might not have to like, might have to go to the doctor. I don't know what to do. I was constantly looking at the CDC guidelines, trying to figure out if I was safe or not to go out. Out. Right. It's just, everything changes so fast now in this place. So it's not as easy to just throw out generic advice. Right. Right. So agreed. The last thing that we think would be fun to share with you all is an off camera story. So something that didn't happen on TikTok or live or on Heather's YouTube or in this recording. And so Heather reached out to me one, it was like a morning, I think. And you sent me this very intense text of There's something extremely important I need to tell you. It's really important to me. I I just, you have to know this. And I have to say, after you told me, I did feel like it was an important conversation that, you know, no one should have shame about. 
we should be able to speak openly about these things. So could you tell the people what your favorite color is? It's mint. And, and it was, it's been a long time since I first discovered my love of the color mint. And it started with a Lululemon capsule collection and I bought everything that they had in the color mint. And I thought, this is a fad. This is a fad. Mint's going to go away and I'm not going to like it anymore. But as, as time has passed, my love for mint has continued. I always saw my favorite color was pink and it turns out, um, it turns out I was wrong, but I'm happy that I've discovered this about myself. This is the kind of self-help that I needed. I just needed to figure out what my favorite color was. How empowered do you feel? Very. Once I release that information to you, I mean, I I felt that burden like lift from you. And then equally, I got to share with you my favorite color, which I have questioned a lot. I had the same kind of journey of, is this really my favorite color? Because believe it or not, my favorite color is white, which is the absence of color. (laughs) So I, growing up, I had a lot of conflicting feelings about loving the color white because yeah, because well, and then also it's my race. So that feels it's like, I was just going to say this because I like white, like it's so bad, right? This is why it's an important conversation because we should have freedom and no shame and not overthink our favorite color. Like there's, it doesn't have to be this overcomplicated analysis of why something is your favorite color. So correct, correct. Mint and white, pink is like secondary for me. I mean, it's a it's a complimentary color. Like if I think about, oh, what do I want? Oh, I just get pink. Right. You wear a lot of pink lip. I wear pink lip because I love it. She's wearing red right now for those who are listening. Yeah, yeah. So and then I have a white Peloton sweater with pink. Right. Which I influenced Heather to buy. Correct. Which is very difficult for me in Peloton. And for those who are listening and not watching, I, in um, solidarity with our viewer, listener, former Rachel Hollis fans, um, I'm wearing my We Choose Joy shirt that I bought um, for the 2020 Rise virtual conference for my entire family. Um, I thought about cutting it and making it like, Fun, and maybe I'll do that another day with Tim's, but yeah. So in solidarity, it might be the last time I wear it in my head. I was like, what if you cut it above the joy? And then it's just like, we choose. And it's like, we choose. I mid-dress. tried. I like, thought about choose. this, but look at how, sh- like, I oh gosh, it's right it. underneath the bra line. Yeah. That wouldn't work. Um, if I used it as a workout shirt, maybe I could do that. Yeah. I feel like that cut is very, um, a young cut, like the bra line cut. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like the, a lot of people that I see do it well, have like the tattoo between the boobs Ooh. that kind of goes down. And so it's a way for them to kind of show the tattoo. I see it constantly on Peloton with, um, the instructors will cut their shirts at that point and then they'll wear a sports bra and then it gives like fashion to the class. Ooh, so I could do it. I could do it. I've got a, Sophia's got one too. I could chop on up bottom (laughs) for everybody. Surprised I didn't buy them for the freaking animals. (laughs) Anyway, that's, yeah, that's true. So, all right, let's get into it. Um, we want to thank you guys again. We're getting reviews, comments on YouTube. 
It's so awesome. I love to see them. We try to reply. We try to get back to you guys. It's important to us to hear from you. So please, 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 please put in reviews and put comments. Even if we say something you disagree with, or hopefully you enjoy this because that's the point. So Heather, you want to read one of our reviews? Yeah. I want to read this review. It's from Vicky, who is a longtime follower and part of our community over on TikTok. Uh, she says her title is so fun. I met these two over on TikTok and loved their content. I was hoping they would start a podcast. This is who they are funny, friendly, and knowledgeable. I'm looking forward to future episodes and we are looking forward to recording future episodes for you, Vicki. Thank you so much. Yes. And it means a lot. Vicki has known us almost for a year now. So for her to say that really means a lot. It really does. And then we got it. Rachel got an email. So our assistant, Rachel got some emails. So thank you all for um, sending her some work to do. (laughs) So she's forwarded over to us and we got an email from Michelle and she said that she was never really a Rachel Hollis fan, but she was big into watching her trajectory and downfall. Like it's totally fascinated her. And she asked, she wanted to see if we have planned or would consider doing an episode on how influencers monetize their audiences and how Rachel and Dave took these steps to do it. The dichotomy between cultivating a parasocial relationship to sell something and then turning on your audience when they don't do what you want fascinates me. And I would love to hear thoughts on it. So I think that's great. Like I said, I'm very into parasocial, so I will do some digging and put something together. It probably won't be our next episode because, uh, Jed Shaw has a lot going on that I want to talk about and a lot coming up with her trials. That will probably be some of the next stuff we cover, but it's definitely a topic of interest. And I think when you look at what's happening in social media right now, it's very relevant to all of our experience. So again, thank you guys for emailing Rachel and for the reviews and the YouTube comments. We greatly appreciate it. Share this with a friend. And now let's get into wrapping up our time with the Hollises. Getting back to the timeline, after the uh, anniversary that Dave posts the picture of, Rachel then posts a picture of tomatoes. And the tomatoes was largely an effort, at least from my perception of her response to the social unrest and murder of George Floyd and her lack of any, any uh, response or support to it. I I remember um, a black female influencer on Instagram posting a video. We're going to have to deal with the noise on my computer because I can't figure out where it's coming from. Um, Posting a a great Instagram video. Um, And if I can find it, I'll send it to Steph to tag in the notes below, but it was something along the lines of white influencers. Where are you? Like now is the time we've bought your products. We've watched your videos. We've supported you this entire time. Where are you supporting us? Where is your effort? You know, no one wants a black box on their Instagram. We want, you know, that's performative. We want actual action. So Rachel posts a picture of a bowl of tomatoes And the caption was something along the lines of like this bowl of tomatoes that I grew out of my garden. I too am a product of my environment. And it was, it was just seen by the great majority of comments that I saw as an excuse for her 
decision not to speak up on George Floyd. Did you see it the same way? Or did you even see the post? I don't remember seeing this post, but thinking about her history. So this is very shortly after the Maya Angelou thing where she was deleting comment. Like there, there's a history of her deleting her team. That's what Rachel says, but her deleting all the black women's comments that were doing all the work in the comments. I mean, they were doing a lot of educating in the comments that was necessary and Rachel could have elevated. And so I think that was, so then when you have that and you put it next to tomatoes, it's, she just continually shows a pattern of, I'm going to make things okay in the moment so we can get past this moment. And I'm going to make promises that I'll do better, but in a month, I'm not going to do better. Like, and we'll get into her other stuff, but it's the same, right? Like it's, I'm not going to get better. Like she doesn't get better. No, but she does Uh, enough just to like try to get past the hump of the moment. Right. Nothing. It's, it feels very performative. There's no other word that I can really use other than like, it's, it's performative and somewhat pandering around the same time she announces her divorce. And this becomes a real big topic. Again, I, I think I mentioned this before, but I still remember like literally where I was, I was on a walk and I got the notification on my phone or I was scrolling Instagram, which is not safe to do while you're walking. But I remember seeing it and I, It took my breath away because, again, I had been following these people for marriage advice. Um, But the cracks had already started to show with the Maya Angelou situation. So it it wasn't quite as shocking to me as it would have been probably about two months prior. But the narrative of her divorce has played out and continues to play out um, as, as an excuse for her for any of the criticism that she receives. Um, So she and Dave both post similar pictures with similar captions, but the difference is moving forward, Rachel couches the divorce and uh, the narrative around it into her next book, which was coming out that fall called didn't see that coming. So she wrote a book about the pandemic as it was happening And then she says during the edits of this book is when she was going through her divorce. So in the edit, in the edits, she parallels the didn't see that coming, how to deal with like shocking things or whatever the byline was um, with the divorce that she's going through that she also didn't see coming. In contrast, Dave is on Instagram constantly. He's on his patio of peace, which is just ironic given hindsight being 2020. We'll get into that. Um, he's going to his prayer rock or whatever. He'll go to the woods and go on runs and he's crying on Instagram. And um, he's giving this narrative about how he's no longer with the Hollis company and, but he supports Rachel. He's constantly showing his children and all of the time that he's spending with them. And so it becomes very interesting how the public's perception of the divorce between the two is couched and completely uh, uh, filtered through what each party is showing on Instagram. Did you notice that? It was, yeah. But I I think that was like my entire frustration with Rachel. 
and is I, I just don't think she handled it well. Not that there's like a rule book on how to handle a divorce, but she ghosted the community. I mean, right. it, and when she did pop in, she was very um, critical and very. And I guess when you think about it, if it's a really sensitive topic, like you become critical, like you, if it's sensitive, you're it's easy to be self like you get defensive really quickly because it's sensitive, right. but she has no ability to say that. I think that's the hardest part about Rachel when she's in a bad time is she doubles down on just being critical and a know-it-all instead of being vulnerable. Like she doesn't actually, now that I look back, like she doesn't actually offer vulnerability to her audience. It's Absolutely all not. curated. Yeah. It's all curated. So like if she had been vulnerable be like, look, I know Dave is out there talking. I know he's saying a lot of things, but I, I just can't right now. It's too hard for me. I love you all. I appreciate all of you, you know, hanging with me during this time. Just know I want to be there for you, but I just can't right now. If she had any ounce of vulnerability with the community that she had built, I think a lot of us would still be fans. I mean, TikTok may have changed some things. Uh, We'll get into that. But I think we would have seen things a little differently over the summer. But every time she came back into the community, it was like, well, don't say that about me. Like, you guys just all love Dave. You guys are just these diehard Christians. You're misogynistic. But like just throwing darts at us. Right. We're like, "Uh, you're the one that blindsided us. We followed you. And then now we're asking questions, which we should, because you sold us stuff about your marriage. And instead of being like, Hey, I can't answer these questions right now. I, I will. I will. It's just too raw right now. I'm in the middle of negotiating a divorce with, I, I mean, I've heard on the internet that they got like two of the fiercest divorce attorneys in Austin. So I'm sure that made it quite a process. So, I mean, just a For little those, bit of honesty would have gone a long way. Yeah, I don't disagree. So, and then, I mean, I don't like Dave. I think I've said that multiple times now. It's not that I don't like him. I just have no affinity for him. And I I didn't appreciate how much he was talking because it didn't seem fair. But at the same time, you're allowed to navigate you know, how you navigate. And he is a publicist and he has that lens and he wanted to make sure his story got out while Rachel was being quiet. So I do see that he was very opportunistic. He has been opportunistic since the divorce about pushing a narrative about himself that I don't think is true. I don't know if he is a victim. I don't know if he is because a really we good have to, dad. In the middle of all of this, Dave is putting out a narrative that this was not his choice. This was right. Rachel's choice. And all of this is coming out through Dave. It's not coming out through Rachel. So yeah. through his Instagram, people are asking questions. He's doing Q and A's. He's doing lives. Um, and he's discussing the fact that, you know, he was blindsided by this. This is never something that he thought would happen, that he has to try to get through this. And he's talking with his pastor, that he's got all these people that are surrounding him, found a great friend that lived next door, got sober. Like, and so a lot of what he was discussing 
And even going back and looking at videos of podcasts, I recently um, was checking out a couple that he gave around this time. It was very much because he was also writing a book. Yeah, he was writing. um, We now know. So it was very much this victim mentality. And that came across very strongly in his narrative that he portrayed on Instagram. Yes. And I will say looking at the timeline, I think one of the things that really frustrated me about how Rachel portrayed her fans is Rachel lost more Instagram followers from talking about Joe Biden than she did about the divorce. And And, and her discussion about Joe Biden was germane. It was like, it was, it was, it was like, go vote. Yeah, it was. She yeah. interviewed him for his book. It wasn't it right. Wasn't taking a stance on anything. It wasn't a stance. It was just the fact that. She I mean, you could say a picture is a stance, but. But she, but we all must remember she not. is. She is the most liberal person on the planet. So perhaps one could just draw the lines. Yeah. So anyway, but you know, like the month of her divorce, she still gained forty five hundred followers on Instagram. So. It was frustrating when she was like, all these women have turned on me. They, you know, they're misogynistic, blah, blah, blah. And there was that in the comments. Absolutely. But they didn't unfollow her. They didn't, you know, there, no actions were really taken. The only thing that and we I don't know is who emailed the company. You know, like we don't know the company emails. We don't know what it looked like fair. on the back end. Um, so there may have been stuff on the back end that is giving her this perspective. But from the public viewpoint, of the information we can see, it it wasn't as bad as she made it. He did say that there were people that called in and wrote in and wanted refunds for conferences that they had attended years prior because clearly she was not the person that she was alleging herself to be. It's my understanding that they did refund. Like I assume what she didn't say though is like likely what happened is people called in for the marriage conference, this is what I, my take on this is people probably were like, listen, you've now said that there were problems three years before the fact, the uh, the timeline of your divorce. And you held a marriage conference that I attended during that time. And I paid you $2,000 for all of this wisdom. And you yourself were not in a place to teach because you didn't even know. So I do think yes. that she got quite a few. She never, ever addresses ever that I could see. And I consumed a lot of her content, both as a fan and as a you know critic, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, she never addresses the fact that people were upset that she gave out marriage advice. Neither does Dave, for that matter. Right. Um, they were upset that she gave out marriage advice while she was going through a difficult time and then announced her divorce and then turned on her audience and said, how dare you question the motives of my motives or my content. And one thing that I think is really important that I think Stefan, at least for me, and I know I've talked to Steph about this, but moving forward to the extent we talk about influencers in the future, the ability for an influencer or public figure who gives help like that self-help or uh, information, you know, news you can use, whatever, to the extent somebody does that and they do not take in criticism, which Rachel Hollis has been very public about the fact that she does not read, 
comments. She does not take in negative feedback, which I also think is BS, but that, that aside, um, it's impossible to become your, uh, uh, I don't want to say your best self because geez, if there was an overused <laughs> self-help term, if you want to um, be a good leader, you have to learn from your mistakes. And a lot of times your audience, if you mess up, is going to give you your mistakes. On They're going to give them to you. Some are going to be really harsh criti- uh, criticisms. Some are going to be more gentle nudging. But if you don't take in any of that, you are creating an echo chamber in which you will live and you will not grow and you will not become a better leader. And if what your intent is, is to be a good leader, you will not do it well. Right. In I my think opinion. We'll get to it um, as we wrap up this timeline, but someone on Reddit in the Reddit thread that I created talked a lot about how it's very obvious now that she almost wanted that to be viewed as a pastor And if you think about like a lot of pastors are in that echo chamber of they're going to get on the pulpit, they're going to tell you, and they don't really want feedback. (laughs) They don't really want you to question what they're saying. And her dad was a pastor. And so it is fascinating that parallel of like, yeah, I don't, I mean, I've had some really good pastors who will engage in the dialogue off stage, you know, of like, Hey, I have a question about the scripture. I think you kind of like may have took that out of context. Can you tell me more? Like, you know, loosely, but if I were to question the theology of it, that would be a major red flag for the pastor. The pastor would be like, oh, well, you're questioning that Jesus is savior. Yeah, I'm questioning it. I don't really understand. This doesn't, you know, it's like, oh, well, you can't question that. And so that's kind of how she approaches things too. It's like her beliefs are almost ingrained as religious beliefs. So they cannot be questioned. One step further. I think she is the belief. You cannot. Right. Her viewpoints are the guiding light. So Mm -hmm. there is no, if there's no other viewpoint that gets airtime or light, then it's just her. And so if it's not her, then it's wrong. If it is her, then it's right. And so you can't question her because she makes the rules. That's she is the leader. And what's funny about all fall of it, in line. That, well, yeah, fall in line, but the rules and all the stuff that she's created, she's copied. So it's not right. even original. It's all plagiarized. Right. <laughs> right. She's just like, Hey, my you know, compilation. It's, it's her, um, it's, it's her nineties hit mixtape. Exactly. Exactly. But she's like scratched all the other artists' names off of it and just put her own. <laughs> this is an Eminem mom spaghetti. No. Mom's spaghetti, Rachel Hall. <laughs> just rewriting the whole entire track tape. Like exactly. exactly. It's like when um uh y- younger generations are gonna understand this, but when we first got iTunes and I would like burn my put my CD in and it would ask me like who is the artist mm-hmm. and like confirm the details and you could like you could type in whatever you wanted. So you could really name things whatever you wanted. That's what she did. She like put the CD into iTunes and then made the artist all <laughs> Like right. change all to Rachel. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Exactly what happened. Um, but I will say, I think a lot of the fuel for her attacking the community is from Dave. Because Dave, I will say this is one thing that I found very disheartening during this timeline. Is that when Dave talks about the divorce, when he talks about being blindsided, when he puts a post up saying he's team Rachel. 
he has a huge bump in followers. Like he gets a boost from that. Rachel doesn't really get hit hard, but she doesn't get a boost, but he gets a boost of followers from this. And the other thing that's interesting about the post-divorce timeline that really, this is why I like timelines. This is why I like to put things in order of when they happen. Cause it's really interesting to see them so close together. Like Dave, Rachel posts about her book on July 20th on Instagram and Dave instantly, oh wait, let me get the right date. July 27th, 2020, Rachel posts a picture of her book. Didn't see that coming. It's going to be out in like um, in a month. So that's the 27th on August 1st. So what is that? 28, 29, 30, 31, four days later, Dave announces his book on Instagram. Like there's a lot of tit for tat. So I think that that, even though Rachel wasn't talking, she was watching. And what she saw was Dave getting all of this like love and affection and followers and adoration. And it just probably like ate her up. I mean, it would eat me up if I was in that situation. Um, But at the same time, she could have talked like she could have. She could have participated in the conversation. She decided not to. She doesn't care what anybody else thinks. Right. She doesn't on sub. Like, a con- oh, I know. Slash so I know. Well, consciously, she doesn't care. Consciously, right. she's saying, I don't care what everything's. But the words that come out of her mouth the show action. that she absolutely cares. And she's watching right. and she's listening and she sees like. That's what's funny to me is like, she goes on a microphone and it's like, I don't care. But if I did care, you're like, uh, tell me you've been watching Dave's Instagram without telling me you've been watching Dave's Instagram. Like, right. Like seriously. So, so her book comes out when she announces it in August and it comes uh, out <clears throat> September 29th. And then she goes on a like podcast interview spree. Yeah. And that's when she really starts to throw her fans under the bus. Yeah. Well, she got a second. So in September, she got a second series of Quibi, which we didn't talk about Quibi in the first episode, but she got the Rachel Hollis show on Quibi that started at the beginning of 2020. And then her second dose, like round of episodes goes up in September, which I think really then starts the podcast tours because you have to start the interviews before the launch date. So she's like end of August, September, she's starting to do the um, interviews. This also is preceded by the Rise app. So there is a lot of business things happening. But yeah, what's interesting the about the Rise app. September. What's interesting about the Rise app is how much time, because that was announced, I think, at my Rise conference in Dallas in 2019. Oh, wow. But they had, they really wanted to put actual music in it. And so they had to get the licensing for all the music, which they were very upfront about the fact that it cost a lot of money and took a lot of time. And when it finally launched, they also said it was going to cost $5 a month. And when they released it, it was $10 a month. And Rachel was like, but it's worth it. Like when people would say, I thought you were going to charge $5 a month. And why is it double what you said? And she's like, I mean, because if you think that we're putting out all of this content and it's not worth $10 a month, like she, of course, because it's just the nature of Rachel gets extremely defensive and mean. Um, But that 
from what I can tell has just been an epic business failure. Like, yeah, it, it, one, I don't think it was a good idea to begin with when you have, I mean, Peloton isn't doing great in the stock market right now either. And again, Steph's wearing a Peloton sweatshirt. We both are on the Peloton app, Um, but they put out fresh content daily in the form of meditations and running and indoor, outdoor, everything. And Rachel was doing like group, uh, like batch recordings of exercises. It was almost like Beachbody-esque where she thought that she was able to train people, which again, someone somewhere show me qualifications other than the fact that you ran a half marathon and a marathon once, like nowhere, there's no qualifications, but, but lots of people have pointed out how terrible Dave's form is. Shocking. Shocking. And, and it was, I love some people that were on that app. Mm -hmm. Some of the people that were doing some of the fitness, um, Cause they were Chris, actually credentialed. <laughs> Chris Chandler was a right. Soul cycle instructor. Brad Chandler is amazing. Um, there was Britt Barron was in some of the runs and meditations. I think you could watch too, which I, I don't know. I I'm a white woman, so I can only see this through the lens that I have, but as Rachel would get called out more for the lack of inclusivity or other things that were going on around her, there were more um, by more members of the BIPOC community in her app that she would uh, showcase on social media. And I don't know, I guess theoretically that it's not performative. Again, I'm not a, I don't know where the BIPOC community stands on that, but that's just something that I noticed. But um, aside from the app in Quibi, which, you know, Quibi did as well as prize app, I guess. Um, right. And which I think see- maybe that's why there's not a lot of conversation about either. About it. Right. I tried to watch a couple episodes and it wasn't good in my opinion. Um, didn't see that coming comes out though. And a lot of people thought that there was going to be tea about the divorce in there. People bought the book because she kept pumping it out as like, and then I went through a divorce and I'm writing about it and there was nothing. There's nothing. Um, as far as she did really piss off members of the MLM and direct sales community, right? Where she she included a line about, you know, and if you need to make money or if you're not financially secure, don't be dumb and go spend two hundred dollars on a starter kit. And people got pissed. Because remember, just two years prior, she was, you know, giving hundred and fifty thousand dollars speeches at the Arbon uh event in Vegas or wherever. I mean, she had MLM events back to back that she was she did beach body beach body. Yep. So yeah, it was a lot of her audience. I mean, that's how I got introduced to her. So there you go. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then October is when the zoom layoffs happened. So that was yes. the first round, which makes sense because that's probably around the time that the PPP loans ran out. Yeah. And likely from my perspective as an attorney with regard to family law, I think Dave got out at the right time of the company because his the valuation at the time of divorce. Yeah. You would think at the time he probably thought he was getting screwed because it's like, Oh, well, our valuations tanking because COVID hit. 
But then Rachel took whatever was left of that and just flushed that down the toilet. So um, but he the, probably but the divorce was right after the virtual event, which arguably seems like millions. Yes. So honestly, if they were using that revenue as projections for value, I mean, except, except that um, they had multiple events planned and I don't know uh, how many they that. could project. So I have in the timeline and I'll post this in the show notes, Savvy Wright's book covered the Zoom layoff extensively and spoke with right. a former employee and I think even had clips of the Zoom. So if you want more on that, I will link it. Please go enjoy Savvy's content because I really enjoy Savvy's content. Yes. Um, she posts about Joe Biden and she loses almost. Like, not Savvy. Rachel. Not Savvy. Rachel Hollis. Back to Rachel. Yeah. Rachel Hollis posts about Joe Biden. She interviews him. It's just a picture. She just says, go vote. But she loses 38,000 followers that week, which is one of her biggest like gaps. Like it's one of her, she has two big um, changes in followers. And that is one of them I'm trying to find. Oh, the other one is um, after TikTok, but we'll get that's 2020. That's let's jump. That's jumping ahead. A couple minutes ahead. So this is our big loss on Instagram um, in terms of followers. And so again, when the narrative is you guys have, you know, are my fans have left me after the, like, it's all about the divorce. It's like, no, right. Biden lost you more followers than your divorce. Uh, it, again, that's why I put it in here. I think it's important. And then um, what I think is funny, again, going back to the tit for tat on Valentine's Day of 2021, Dave announces he's dating Heidi Powell. And he posts that, but he also posts that he's still team Rachel and he gains like 40,000 followers. I'm guessing it's like Heidi's people that came over. It's fascinating. He gains 40,000 followers on Facebook, 10,000 on Instagram after posting this. That same week is the week that Rachel posts a rage talk about getting on a celebrity dating app. Yes. It's like, it's comical. I mean, remember, remember, she got on the dating app, not to date. She just I, wanted to make friends. Yep. She, it's, you know, it's a different time. We're in a pandemic and, you know, she, she just wants like some, some fun, you know, just some friends. Not, she wasn't getting on the dating app to find love. Right. Right. Of course not. And then um, what I think is fascinating is right before all the TikTok stuff happens, in March, she posts a lot on Facebook about a financial document documentary. Uh, documentary. <laughs> Thank you. That she is a part of. It's hard to really know if she's like doing yeah. it or if it's like you don't know if it's three percent production or if it's with someone else. She just kind of puts a call to action, and from that, she gets two hundred and fifty thousand new likes on Facebook. Like Interesting. Those, yeah. Like it gained a lot of traction. Like she really hit, you know, an, I don't want to say a nerve, but like hit a vulnerable spot for women, especially one year into a pandemic of, Hey, if you, you know, a lot of people had to look at their finances during the pandemic 
with job considerations or job loss or things like that. So, um, yeah, I thought that was really fascinating and to date, nobody has heard anything about it. So that was like one week in March. She hit that really hard. She got a lot of new followers on Facebook and then April happened. So you want to talk about TikTok? Oh man, the TikTok heard around the world. Um, I almost wonder if we should clip it and put it in here. Like just a snippet yeah. should be. Put, okay. Yeah, I'll put it in here. I'll also link to Heather's YouTube because you've post we've, you have a Rachel Hollis playlist on your YouTube that has all your TikToks and videos about Rachel Hollis. And so this is in there. And I say that obviously to promote Heather's YouTube, but <laughs> since I run the back end, but <laughs> my social media manager stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but also because that was real time. Those yeah, TikToks were real time. It was real time um, reacting and talking about it. I mean, I think it was a little delayed. I think you waited like a, mu- a week or two or had you started making TikToks in March? I think it was about four days. Yeah. So it was, yeah. So it was very close. And then from this incident, Heather pretty much made reactions real time to everything else subsequent. Okay. Yesterday I was doing a live stream and I mentioned that there's a sweet woman who comes to my house twice a week and cleans. She's my, my house cleaner. She cleans the toilets. Someone commented and said, you are privileged AF. And I was like, you're right. I'm super freaking privileged, but also I worked my ass off to have the money to have someone come twice a week and clean my toilets. And I told her that. And then she said, well, you're unrelatable. (gasps) What is it about me that made you think I want to be relatable? No, sis, literally everything I do in my life is to live a life that most people can't relate to. Most people won't work this hard. Most people won't get up at 4 a.m. Most people won't fail publicly again and again just to reach the top of the mountain. Literally every woman I admire in history was unrelatable. If my life is relatable to most people, I'm doing it wrong. So Rachel's, we will have uh, played you a uh, snippet of her TikTok. Rachel's TikTok very clearly is it's problematic on so many levels. It's hard to dissect it all. It's so bad. And my initial reaction to it was, fuck you. Like you don't, you don't want to be relatable. Like you're not relatable. This entire time it's been, I was there. Let me show you how to do it. Let me show you how to get through this stuff. And I think my first TikTok was her whole brand is built off of being relatable. What changed? What are you doing? So I made a TikTok and I don't, my TikTok actually didn't get that many, as many views as some other people's that commented on her situation, but I did in real time watch as she attempted to navigate. She had one apology up that was just abysmal. That was like, I mean, it it was as if she just was a uh, carousel on Instagram And it was like criticism, excuse, next slide, criticism, excuse, next slide. And then uh, a couple days later that gets taken down and a new one gets put up 
And then about a month goes by before she finally reemerges on social media and podcast. And we went through all of that. I think I might have those lives up on my YouTube where we discuss those. But the interesting part about this is she had a rise conference set for May. And what she was really doing in posting this TikTok, and she had started to go live around the same time too, was she's very good at knowing, okay, event in May, I need to start promoting the event, you know, shortly, like probably late April, um, selling tickets. So promote early April, sell tickets late April, promote early April. So that means I need to get buy-in from my audience again in March. I need to start because I don't want to just go to them and sell. I want to remind them why we have this relationship. And the TikTok really came out of one of those lives where someone said, you're privileged. Well, you're not relatable. And it's, uh, I'm privileged. Well, I worked my ass off for this privilege. So it was, again, a complete inability to see anything outside of her own, you know, forest from the trees type of situation. She cannot no, she doesn't know the and definition then, of privilege. She, like the TikTok was doubling down on what happened in the live and then added the caption with Harriet Tubman, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Marie Curie, Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey, Amelia Earhart, Frida Kala, Malala, and um I don't I don't know who Wu Zatan is. I probably should. I think it is like a, a princess warrior or something. I'll, we'll have to look. Okay. But yeah, so it was like, now you're comparing. Yes, you're right. A great, she was an emperor, greatest emperors in Chinese history. Again, all of these BIPOC individuals in history who like created history by doing, by their life experiences and the massive things they had to overcome. And, and what did you do? Like, what did you do, Rachel? Like, how are you anywhere where similar? in any way, in any regard. The problem that I have with this is if I spend too much time on it, I get my blood pressure will rise. Right. Especially because because the timeline, she made it worse. So she, she has the blowout on the live where she just like laughs at this person's comments, then decides to make the TikTok as a follow-up from the live with this insane caption placing her with women who had to endure so much hardship and like beat so many odds in the time period that they were trying to. Now we look back and say, Oh my gosh, look at what they did. But at the time, like everyone told him not to. Like, right. It was a- and, and if we go back to last podcast, remember Rachel has now admitted that like the minute she got married, she didn't have to worry about going to target. The bills were paid. Like the amount of the, privilege doesn't even say enough to me, like the lack of adversity and platter of opportunities that were presented to her for her to choose. Do you want to be an event coordinator? Do you want to work at Disney? Do you want to be a stay at home mom? Do you need a nanny, a housekeeper? How often you want to go work out? If you're able to afford a $10,000 ticket to Tony Robbins or five, like so your, your world is different. And I can say yes. that about mine as well. And I will say this right. too. I've been extremely open about the fact that my husband 
does well for our family. And it allows me to do things like this. Um, but I'm not going to, I, well, I hope I never do. I guess I, you know, I can't make pledges on future conduct, but um, I, I hope never to act like that ever, ever, ever. Um, I try not to take my privilege for granted and acknowledge the fact, which is why I'm saying it now that I have that, but in her head, she didn't have that privilege. No, I was oh, poor. No, I, I, I moved out one time, but you know, remember that six months that I was a, a roommate of somebody remember she was 19 when she started dating Dave 18. Right. Yeah. I, I yeah, I think, you know, so in my degree program, we have a lot of, we have a diversity and equity class and we unpack a lot. And I think this is very prevalent that happens with white people is that we want to be able to participate in that narrative and completely negate our privilege. Like um, they talk about like the white privilege knapsack and like unpacking the knapsack. It's like, she just doesn't want to unpack the knapsack at all. Like doesn't even wants to be again, it's almost like she's trying to be relatable with the community. She is not, she's actually not relatable with at all and should spend some time to understand and educate herself as a leader, as an influencer, as a business owner, as a manager, as a supervisor, you know, as a thought leader ish person. So it's just very infuriating because she does this with the TikTok. And then that first apology is the one where all the work was done in the comments, even though at first they started deleting and then they stopped deleting. And so some of those comments were still on that post, her apology. Right. And so she deleted the apology. And I think it was lovey on Instagram that I saw that was really upset that she deleted the apology because they had done so much work in the comments. Like there was educate her. Yes. And I will say, I think of the next apology, she like quotes Lovey, but even Lovey gets in the comments there. And it's like, this is still not like, this is not okay. This is not enough. And so I will put Lovey's Instagram in our, in our show notes, please go check her out. It's very important to hear this from the BIPOC creators because there was real harm done by Rachel in this incident. And I will say too, uh, when Rachel came back, well, one, I want to say she had the rise conference set for May and then all of this, you know, comes out and blows up. And as in real time, this was part of what Steph was alluding to earlier in real time, people are dropping from as uh, speakers of this rise event. And Amy Porterfield was one of them that said, I'm talking, I've got a phone call into Rachel. I'm discussing her actions with her. You know, I, I, if I have somebody's number in real life, I'm going to talk to them first. I'm not going to post on social media. And eventually she drops out. Jenna Kutcher as well. um, Discussed. She posted an Instagram story that basically said, I wrote on Rachel's response, but I'm now seeing that that doesn't seem to be available. I don't know if it's been deleted or hidden. I want to provide it here. I know I've been affiliated with her in the past, but what she's done is not okay. Jenna Kutcher also has her past indiscretions and things that she's done. Hopefully she's learned from, but, um, you know, a lot of people have called out the fact that she was problematic in the past as well. So all of that, and it's in real time, the only person, and we had, I don't know if you remember this, but we were watching the website in real time. Yeah. 
you had the I was texting you like all the time. I was like, yeah. hey, it's the, we're so and so's out. Someone else is gone. So, so yeah, it and kept getting at, updated. At one point, all that was left was like men, and we we're like, how is this a woman's conference? Right. <laughs> all the women speakers, all the women like are left. Out. Yeah, all the women are out. And even the ones that were left, like I remember one was um, who's the Shelton personality? The oh, former Chris Hogan. Chris Hogan, whose wife has written very interesting articles on medium about how all of the things went down at the Dave Ramsey company with Chris Hogan in regards to his affair and just, Oh, it's very fascinating. But so there's like a layer of controversy there. So it's very interesting that again, you have a man coming to a woman's conference to speak. And then Dave Ramsey put a hold on him to speak. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a comedy of errors. It was and chaos. It was chaos. And then eventually that gets rescheduled twice mm-hmm. because it's important mm-hmm. to remember this rise event was going to be the substitute. This was her f- going to be our first in-person rise. And this was the substitute for San Diego, which a lot of people had bought tickets for that was going right. to happen in 2020. So and that gets pushed to May and then it gets pushed to September. Rachel comes out in what was it? this happened late March. So either early May or late, I think it was late April with her first podcast and Mm -hmm. first and second podcast back after the fiasco were really interesting. Cause the first one was like, I fucked up. I did something really bad and it was, it was tough. And um, I can't remember if it was the first or second podcast, but she, her best friend is black and she's never going to let you forget that she's her best friend, her best, her closest friends or lesbian and, and, and one of them is black woman. And this black woman after, and I have a lot of respect for her name's Britt Barron. She's written a book. Um, I I have a lot of respect for, uh, worth it. I think is the book title. I have a lot of respect for her. She's a pastor at a Southern California church. She had moved to Austin. I think her wife was working for Rachel at the time as a photographer or media person of some sort. And Britt has to go to Rachel's house to pull Rachel out of bed. This is something Rachel talked about in her podcast after her TikTok and explain and educate her about intent versus impact. And then Rachel goes on her podcast first to say, I fucked up. And then to tell, you know, us white women, what we need to do to be better allies to the black community. Right. And I remember being so livid that this woman who clearly doesn't know what she's doing with regard to being an ally, with regard to privilege, because what people forget is the layered privilege that she had, has, and the layered effect and, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Damage. That she, mm-hmm. it wasn't, it, it was to black women first and foremost. It was to women as a whole. It was, I mean, the, the, her followers, the fact that she had othered everybody that follows her as like, I don't want to be like you because you're basically the TikTok red is like, you're lazy. You're not going to get up early in the morning. One thing I wanted to hit on, clearly I'm heated about this. I get very heated about this when I talk about it, but the one thing that really pisses me off about Rachel's narrative is this idea that 
her job is so much more difficult than the rest of us. The amount of times that she says the level at which I have to perform in order to get this work done and make the impact that I want to make. That's why I have to make sure that I'm physically fit. That's why I have to make sure I have my green smoothie in the work in the morning that, you know, that that being a good mom, but like making this kind of impact, I have to do all of these things because I have to perform at such a level. Like you don't even understand is the, the, that's the byline that never gets really said is like, you couldn't possibly relate. So you know who else has that byline? Just take a guess who says something almost verbatim God, who when he talks that? about himself. Tony Robbins? Yeah. Like if you ever watch anything about like his day in the life or whatever, he's like, yeah, you know, I always have to biohack everything because I have to perform. And when I do these events and granted, when he does the events, he's literally standing and talking for 12 hours. And there was one event where he literally had a hole in his vocal cords and he was in a wheelchair and he still did the event, which again, I don't think that's great, but, um, yeah. So he runs that same, I mean, it's the same narrative. It's so disgusting. Like she's I hate it. nothing I hate original it. and it's not, and she's not. Yeah. Yeah. The, the impact that, I don't know, my friends who are in, uh, criminal like nurses, criminal nurses or doctors, doctors or um uh armed services or yes. military um, police yeah. i mean just I, social services i mean teachers or, you know so moms many who are waking moms. up that don't have an idea of when their income's going to come in because we're in the middle of a pandemic and their kids have prescriptions that they need to pay for and they don't know like but they have a special needs i mean the uh, of America is performing at a different level than Rachel because she's a housekeeper that comes in twice a week to clean her toilets, lest we not forget. So the whole thing was tone deaf at best. What Um, also really frustrated me, because I remember when you went live to talk about the podcast was as much as she said she does the work, she never leads us to the work. So there's never a, like, I read this book. I watched this speaker. I learned from this person. You should go like, she doesn't point us to like a lovey or, um, you talked about our last episode. Um, I'm going to call Austin Channing. Channing. Yeah. Austin Channing. And so it's like, there's no, she doesn't direct us to the people we should go hear it from, from the BIPOC community. She just says, yeah. So like you should be like this and you know, I've done the work and it's like, I can't believe that you've done the work if you don't give me any receipts of the work. And then also Problem what you're though saying, is she, she can't is not direct you to somebody who there's no BIPOC community member that I have seen out there that has not been extremely critical of what she does. Well, true. So, I mean, she can't it's, direct you to somebody that's going to give her the pat on right. her back for make, doing the work because no one did. And I think the other thing too, because this is a conversation I think we've had because Glennon Doyle has had it, but it is on white women to educate ourselves. It is not on us to ask people to educate us. So it's not, it's, we should not be going to these BIPOC creators and saying, teach me. It's us looking at their content and re- buying their books and reading about all of this stuff. Like uh, it is on us to do the educating, not ask to be educated by these people. They do not bear that burden. 
we bear that burden to educate ourselves. And that's the other thing that frustrates me about Rachel is because she like acts like she bears that burden, but then doesn't share anything to show that she's educated herself except for her own pain. And then continues to make similar mistakes over and over and over. Yeah. Which leads us into, um, so this is, what's funny is around this time you and I had connected. So we were bouncing off each other a lot and with cat too. So like we had our, our group chat and we were bouncing off. And I think what was fascinating is how, how much really you sometimes me and sometimes cat like would call her next action. So with the conference being moved to September, we had kind of like all figured out that she has to come back to social media around June. Right. Like that timeline of getting out in front of the marketing timeline. Like you gotta, you gotta slowly come back to social media so that you can just get Build back, back in. up your parasocial relationships. So that people don't yep. think that you're just coming in to sell them a to ticket. sell and then slowly trickle in the sales. And, right. um, and that's what happened. So in June, she, comes back to TikTok and it is one of my absolute favorite days on TikTok and it involves Heather and it makes me so happy. Why don't you tell it from your perspective? Okay. So Rachel makes a TikTok about wind chimes and we'll play it for you. It's like one of your top videos on your YouTube too. Like everyone is very fascinated about the last TikTok Rachel ever made, but she's basically on her version of patio of peace and she's got a wind chime She's like, isn't it so nice? And this is kind of our first glimpse publicly about how she's going to talk about the divorce moving forward, which is like subtweeting, even though we all know who Dave is, like we all know who her ex is. We all know. And she's only had one relationship. So it's definitely him. So she's just like, yeah, my ex didn't like wind chimes. So I didn't have them out here. So I, now I do. I put him up. I put him up, up and then he'd take him down. Right. And you just don't, don't let people do that to you. Don't lose. It was just, she tried to make it some kind of message. It was so dumb. Like losing yourself in, in marriage and finding yourself yeah, after divorce. Exactly. And like, didn't say Dave's name. Didn't say ex-husband. Just said ex. And we were like, we all know you're subtweeting him here. Like, what is the point of this? Like, this is so dumb. I'm sitting out on my back patio and um, listening to one of my favorite things, the wind chime. And uh, I was just sitting here so grateful to listen to the sound of the wind chime. And I was thinking about the fact that um, I was married to someone for a very long time who hated the sound of wind chimes. I would like buy them and then I would hang them up and then I would come back later and find them like he had taken them down. He just hated the sound. And that's not an indictment on him. That's just whatever, he didn't like it. And I'm telling you this because a lot of times we let go of the things we love because they don't love it too. And, um, 
it goes up and Heather goes live like shortly after this TikTok is kind of making the round. It was on a Friday. Yeah, because you were doing the Friday Night Lives. And so we're in the comments and people are like, what are you talking about? What TikTok? And so people were in real time coming out of your live, going to the TikTok, making a comment, coming back into the live. And it was kind of funny to just watch. They'd be like, oh, I went and commented. I went and commented. I went and commented. And no one was being mean because I watched too. And you, we were all very clear of like, you guys, like, this is not an attack on her. Like, this is just something she's doing. If you have an opinion about it, like go comment on it. You know, like, girl, what are you doing? Are you trying to, well, the other thing too, that we all said, are you trying to be relatable? Cause I thought you weren't relatable. What are you doing? Like just calling her out. Yeah. I was, I was watching the comments in real time. I don't even know that I told anybody to go comment because we were reading. No, it was, it was us. It was the community in your life. We were in the chat being like, like, I remember Vicky going and um, some other people went. And Rachel was in the comments too. She was responding to a couple. Yeah, she was. So it was all happening while you were live. And then it was gone. Her entire profile was gone. Like it was, it, it was gone in the middle of your live. Right. And it just, I hate to say this because this is petty and I probably should be better than this. But as someone who loves TikTok, it's my favorite social media. It's my cup of tea. It felt really good to get her off of there. Like we don't need, <laughs> we don't need this here. Right. And granted, you know, this was 2021 TikTok. Um, there wasn't a lot of influencers or self-help people. Right. It was not like that. It is now they've all kind of infiltrated. So at the time it felt very much like we don't need your self-help bullshit here. Like this is not what TikTok this is. This is our safe space. Yeah. TikTok is the safe space against the gurus, like no gurus here. And um, even funnier yeah. is what was it like a video it was more recent a couple of months ago when she came out in a rage talk and said, you know, it was just, Oh, it was her interview with Jay Shetty. I have clips of it. I, I just keep them privately, but I, I sent them to you and Blanca. And I was like, you guys can make TikToks on this because this is absolutely infuriating where she says she got off of TikTok because of productivity. Like it was just like, she just found herself just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And it was just not good for her productivity and it wasn't good for her ADHD. So she had to delete the app and delete her profile. Oh, and she said she wasn't using it. She's like, so if I wasn't going to use it to like create content, then why would I keep it? And I was like, you deleted it the day you made content. So right. It's like right. you are like a perfect example of how she's such a revisionist of history. Right. And then gaslights everyone who doesn't know the truth, which again is why we make these podcasts. It's why we made a timeline. It's why we've gone in so deep on this because the stories she tells are not, I don't want to say outright lies, but they are really glossing over the truth. And mischaracterize all of the events. And I will, something I wanted to touch on is I've seen, because she got so much attention, um, in TikTok, social media, BuzzFeed was writing articles, got a ton of attention. Um, a lot of people found YouTube, YouTube creators, all kinds of people decided to make content about her. And one of the things that kept coming out was like, oh, well, her fans were just misogynistic. And so when she got a divorce, she just lost a lot of people and she went downhill from there. And 
I just want to go on the record and say that is not accurate at all. A lot of people have covered this well. Some have covered it from that narrative, and that is completely inaccurate. And I hope that Steph and I have shed light on why that is inaccurate. Yeah. Well, and even I like forgot that you said that people ask for refunds and it's like, yeah, they were asking for refunds because you sold a marriage. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of the first round of things. Um, the TikTok. another, uh, I, I kind of call this when she launched the inner circle, which was coaching like online coaching And to me, it happened in July, like end of July, which would have put her about six weeks out from her um, event date, or maybe it was about eight. It was like two months out from her event date. And so in my head, I was like, she needs cash to pay vendors because you have to secure deposits and you have to, to me, it looked just like a cash grab. I don't know if that's true. I don't have insight to her. I don't have a crystal ball to her finances, but a, a coaching circle is something you launch at the conference. Cause you basically get everyone so fucking hyped. Sales then funnel. you say, yeah, it's a sales funnel. Like I'm going to get you at the event. And then this is what I'm gonna sell you on the last day so that it doesn't have to end here. It doesn't have to end here. Uh, my staff is waiting. They'll sign you up right outside the door. Like scan this QR code. You can sign up right now. And guess what? I have a special deal for you. Cause you're at this event. Like you get these bonuses, blah, blah, blah. That's how you do it. I mean, Go to any event and this is what happens. You get upsold to the next thing to keep the thing going. Um, But so to do this prior did not make sense. And that's why I was like, I think she needs cash. Um, Allegedly. Yes. Yeah. That was what I think. She also um, talks about her first kiss with her boyfriend. She starts talking about her boyfriend, her boyfriend, boyfriend, her boyfriend, her boyfriend, boyfriend, who on another podcast. she it said she wouldn't talk about first kiss was, yeah, I'm not going to talk about my love life moving forward. My first kiss on like, it was like week one, my first kiss. And like the end of week three was like, was like, and we're in love. And I told him I love him. And it was like whiplash. And now he shows up on every rage talk. He comes up on every podcast. There is not a time since that she has not mentioned her boyfriend. And now she's publicly posted him on Instagram. So that's going on at the same time. So the Rise Live event happens. One of my favorite things about the Rise Live event is that the Reddit community was tracking the tickets sold. Right. This is how Hollis Uncensored got started because we were on Blogsnark and Blogsnark kept deleting ticket posts because they said it was like too much tracking of information, even though she had a tracker on her website. Well, come to find out, I looked at the HTML coding of the website and that wasn't an actual tracker. It was just heading text. So like her web developer wasn't updating <laughs> the web text. So it was always going to say 1772, I think is what it was. Because we were all like, we're all going to count ourselves as the empty seats because right. we would have bought tickets, but we're not. We're the empty seat. And that we number stayed up there our- the entire time. We were trying to name our community and a bunch of people wanted to name it 1772 or whatever the name number was. Yeah, it was very similar to that. Um, but yeah, so it was funny because one day I just went into the website and I'm like, this is this is like just text. It's not a tracker. It's not an right. app. It's not tracking anything. Um, but the event happens. Uh, Kia's World, she went and she covers it. So if you want more about the event, 
I'll put it in, if you want to know more about what happened at Rise Live, I'll, I'll link that in our show notes. But the biggest thing was at the end, she said it's the beautiful closing of a chapter. And there were like 50 people live. Her yeah, former and, conferences yeah. were 4,000 people live. Right. And it kind of made me laugh because a VIP got like couches, but like non-VIP sat in chairs, but they were all very close to each other. So it's like you paid for a couch. They got to go to dinner with her too. I did see that. I'd prefer a chair for my back support. Yeah. Right. Right. So that is... um Oh, so that brings us to fall of 2021. So if you want to get us up to date. Yeah, this is the best. So fall of 2021, Dave's book comes out and this is only notable because again, the great misstep by Dave here. So his book is called built through courage. Yes. Which is a reference to his, his tattoo, which is, it's all shit. It's all ships. It's all nautical references. And I mean, he can't speak without a nautical reference. It's very interesting. He got in, he got in so deep, you see. So deep in the sea, deep in the sea. So he releases a book. And from what we can tell, it's with the same publisher as before. And it seems like he had this idea that he was going to have this great book launch. This is a second York, book. New York best time seller. Like, right. That's what he wanted. He wanted New York times bestseller. Right. So instead of what he anticipated happening, which was like, go on good morning America and go on the today show and sell this book. It ends up that he's just like doing a bunch of Instagram lives with random influencers. Like he did one with Mel Robbins. He did it. Like he did Instagram lives with his girlfriend, Heidi Powell, like, he was on there constantly just trying to sell his book. And it the week ends with a Saturday live that he does from his patio of peace at his house. And it's two hours long. It is on YouTube. And he has a meltdown in front of his Instagram live audience. He talks about how the $18 that it costs for this book is the price of the contract that his followers have with him by following him and him giving out all of this free content, which by the way, like, I don't know what he thinks he's providing through posting a picture of him and his girlfriend or like his kid, you know, like this isn't, there's so many things wrong with that. I trying to explain it makes no sense, but one person, I guess he had the morning show at one point, but then that dissolved. So that was like the only inspirational content, like going on. And I just, just for those who care, a contract is offer acceptance and consideration. So like there's an offer and then you accept it and then you pay something for it. No, there was nothing like that here, obviously. Um, during this live, a couple things that really stood out happen. One, a cut, a guy comes in, I think it was a, a male and says, I don't have enough money to buy this book, but I'm, you know, without a job and I can't make rent right now. And Dave basically says like, if you spend the $18 for this book, it will be, I can guarantee you this book will get you to where you want to be faster than any other option that you have. And I just remember thinking, because by this point it's November 21, 
I don't know how many followers did I have, like 50,000 maybe on TikTok by this point. And I remember thinking like, if I had released a book and someone said, I don't have the money to buy this, I would say, I got you. I got you. I will send you a book. Yeah. Especially they're like, I'm a fan and I want that. Like, I wish I could like, yeah, not, but you need like, but then it it devolved from there because then you started talking about the social contract. Yes. And then on top of all of this, his five-year-olds coming out and saying, dad, I want, I'd like some more of those gummy vitamins. And can you make me pancakes? And he goes into this tirade about how his dad and his mom are sleeping in the house and they can get up and make her pancakes. He says that if this was any other day and his dad had a golf game, which actually I, I can sympathize with this. If he had a golf game, he'd be awake right now and golfing. So he can get up and make you pancakes and told his daughter to get a life among other things. Um, so if you ever hear me in a live, tell my daughter to get a life, it's clearly a, a dig at that but he loses it. And around this same time, I buy his book on audible and try to get through a couple chapters. I attempted to because people wanted to know what my thoughts on it. I didn't tell you this. No. So I tried and I made one TikTok saying like, I'm attempting to one TikTok. It wasn't about the pancake gate situation, which is what people called the two hour live meltdown on Instagram, pancake gate, toilet gate being Rachel Hollis's TikTok, pancake gate being Dave Hollis's meltdown. So I make one TikTok about Dave's book. And I was like, I just, it's really difficult to get through. It's not for me. Maybe it's for somebody, but it's not for me. And I go to my Instagram a day later, maybe. And I go to his profile because somebody all of this pancake gate stuff is happening. I'm trying to see if he apologized. And I can't find his profile. Like at first, at least the circle was up. Then I go to his page and there was no content. And then I couldn't even find him anymore. He had blocked me. And what was crazy <laughs> about that was that I didn't even do anything. <laughs> I So he had, I have I like, it was Heidi. Maybe. I mean, Reddit has a lot of theories about who's in his, it's like his social media and, really they think it's Heidi, which is okay. This is all allegedly, this is all speculation, kind of fun speculation. If you put some dots together, but Dave met Heidi through Instagram DMS. So it would stand to reason that now when she's the girlfriend that she would want control of someone's Instagram that she's dating, that she met through DMS when he was married. Now I'm not saying anything happened in this situation. I'm just saying it's very interesting. And then Heather, well, here's, here's the other thing that you haven't mentioned. You and Dave had messaged in Instagram DM right. prior, not very, in an inappropriate way. No, very uh-uh. yeah. Yeah. It's like how we interact with influencers, you know, very germane. No, I would argue oh. not. Because, oh, okay. Because it's I had deep. offered, I had offered a year prior when I got on board to do free, uh, social media help. I try, I was trying to pull specific timestamps of videos that they could clip of like old morning show episodes. Like, Hey, here's a good one. If you guys wanted to put this up on a Instagram, like almost like a reel 
but it wasn't a real then. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. So like things that stood out to me and I had told him this and he was like, oh my God, that would be great. Then, oh, I forgot about this until just now. I was going to do a podcast after Rise and follow Rise attendees and all of the life-changing impacts they had from Rise. And I reached out to him to get authority because I didn't know that if they would copyright strike me or if they would have a claim to it. And so he was talking to the podcasting people to see if I could do that. Wow. I completely forgot about that until just now. So what I say it- all of this to say that if Heidi it, or someone else is managing his Instagram and they see your TikTok and then they go to his Instagram and check his DMs and see that you have prior history. To me, I mean, if I were a lesser woman, I'd block the hell out of you. And, and you're a, and you're a pretty blonde. I mean, there's a type here. It, but it's here's fascinating the, the, to me how quickly the, that happened. The jump to me though of I see her on TikTok make one, one, not mean, slightly critical, not for her book review. I'm going to find her on Instagram where I have like 3000, probably like 1500 followers at that time and block her on Instagram, which, because it's so stupid. I could go to my Finsta and look at whatever I want to look at. It's still true. True, true, true. Anyway, that was, that was a fun story. So how many uh, followers did he lose after his Instagram live? Well, this is what's frustrating. And this is, we only lost like uh, 2000. Like it doesn't, these, his mistakes don't hit him. Yeah. They don't translate, but I think it's also because he doesn't have the audience. So Rachel had the audience when you have 1 million something followers, you have a sizable audience and they're for you. Dave doesn't. I mean, Dave's following is like probably 25% of what Rachel's is. So it, it, the volume is just never going to be there. And then we get into the last couple months and their personal lives have just been like the wild West. It's been a, it's the, the nice part about moving forward is there's so much content out there that you can consume that covers Dave's conference. And then now Heidi's stuff that's been going on. And I, the other thing about the 2022 content is there's a lot of sensitive topics that I'm not quite sure. Even December of 2021, Rachel yes. gets uh, has an issue go on that we I don't feel comfortable talking about on here, to be honest, right? Um, because it's too private. She can talk about it because that's her. It's on her podcast. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to go listen to her December 2021 podcast, you can figure out what we're talking about. But it's all very personal and sensitive and um, probably the most relatable content they could put out, but um, right. they but won't. It's sad. It's sad and they won't. Um, I don't know that at least on Dave's part, I don't think that he's going to, uh, I don't, I think it might affect his brand a little bit if he were to be open with some of the allegations that are going on. So yeah. A lot of but things. there's just no honesty again. Like there's just no one's being honest. There's lots of talking around. There's um, pleasantries and pandering. And it, it's just, it's so frustrating. It's like, just stop, stop. Like, why are you talking about this? And why are you talking about it in this way? And 
you know, I mean, it's just, it's very hard to watch what they're doing now. I think that's kind of where we're checking out. I think I appreciate how you are continuing to do your YouTube live reactions to Rachel's podcast because the territory she's going into now is just wild. Um, talking about manifestation and finances and I've heard yesterday's podcast, which released on February 15th, part two of her financial manifestation is even worse than the first one. So I'm going to go live probably this afternoon. So if you're listening to this or watching this, I'll probably already have that up to listen to that. So, yeah. So that is like our, our Hollis hole. And now we want to switch real quick and get into some of the stories that you shared. So I got a really, well, Rachel, I should clarify, Rachel, (laughs) our wonderful intern, got a a really good email that I wanted to share um, because this is a story that I've seen personally in my own circles and I think is very relatable to a lot of people. So she was introduced to Rachel by her sister-in-law. And if we're all wondering, her sister-in-law has apologized to her. Um, but her background was her husband was in the military. They moved constantly. The sister-in-law introduced her girl, wash her face. She had just moved to the middle of nowhere, Texas, which if you are military, so I'm the daughter of two mil, my parents were both in the Navy. So when you, you don't get to really choose, you have a little bit of choice, but depending on your duty station, whatever, it's very detailed. You can end up in very undesirable locations. This is why my parents were in the Navy. Cause you'll always end up on the water at the very least. Anyway. Yeah. It's a strategy for sure. Um, she had no friends. She had a one-year-old baby and the husband was getting ready to deploy. So this happens a lot too. You move and then the, the person, the spouse instantly deploys. Um, my, that happened to my mom when I was in sixth grade, we moved, she deployed two months after that. So it's a, it's a very, as if moving isn't traumatic enough, and being in the middle of nowhere with no support system, then the one person you have deploys. Yeah. Um, She was the perfect target for Rachel's brand. She consumed everything. When her husband came home, she was deep in the Rise Together podcast. She listened to it every day. And from those podcasts, she started questioning her marriage um, because her and her husband didn't make out all the time. We didn't have date night once a week. Um, And then again, we need to have sexy September. She was trying to make the marriage exceptional by trying to change herself and her husband. And then one morning, this is to her credit, when she was out on a daily walk, she was listening to rise together. And she realized that what they were discussing was a bunch of bull. So she went home, told her husband that from there, they were deconstructing what they learned from Rachel. The crazy thing is that when this happened, It was right before the Rise Together conference. So this is pretty early, like when she's doing this, um, 2018. And she was trying to figure out how her and her husband could go to Austin because it was only three hours from her. And um, But when she says the rose-colored glasses finally cleared, she found a group of YouTubers who were talking about her hypocrisies, the blatant plagiarism, and she really started to understand all the deception and lies. She realized the entire platform was created only to make Rachel money. She was the only one who benefited from all the nonsense that she sent out into the world. She being Rachel. Um, She says she's happy that we started the podcast. She's really trying to just deconstruct everything. 
that Rachel taught people. Um, just really hoping that self-help gurus can be left in 2019 and their two joy toxic speech will no longer exist moving forward. Amen. Amen. As Heather pulls up her We Choose Joy shirt. Amen. Um, and then she adds, just choose to emote how you feel. And if that's laying in bed all day because your world is heavy, then good for you. Take time for yourself. Agreed. Well-written. Amen. It's so funny, the parallels between her story and my story. It's just, she was smart enough to get out about two years earlier. So props to you. Yeah, really. I mean, it's an interesting through line. So I will post this in the show notes, but in Reddit, I asked for former fans stories. So if you want to see more stories and read more stories, I'm not going to read all of the Reddit thread on here because it it's a Reddit thread. So some of the comments go different ways and I mean, it's all good stuff. It's just some people talk about how they always knew Rachel was a phony and it's like, well, that's kind of not us. (laughs) That's not where we lie. But, um, so when this, I don't know. So sometimes Reddit feels like fight club, you know, like, do we talk about fight? I I know. I know. So I'm not going to read usernames. I'm not going to give, Cause it feels like that goes against like Reddit policy. Like right. you don't, you don't give out, but I'm linking the thread so you can easily go find their profiles. I don't know. I don't know right. the etiquette here. Cause Reddit usually stays in Reddit, but they said, I would like people to know that it's not all desperate brainless fangirls who followed people like Dave and Ray Ray. This person was deep in depression and a soul sucking job. And my husband of one year and I had just lost our first home to a flood when I discovered her. I needed a lifeline. And no matter how cringy things got and get what the Hollis is, I'm proud of myself for reaching out and finding one when I did, even if it was through them. I wish people could realize that sometimes what pulls us out of dangerous holes may not be something we need forever, but we're not idiots for grasping at the rope in the first place. After all, we were able to critically think ourselves away from the red flags later, right? Thank you for telling this story. Um, So I think that's important. Like someone later down in the thread made a comment that if anything, this is exposing the lack of mental health resources available. And I think that's true. You know, it's like, we have a mental health issue and we don't know where to go. And I will say, I mean, the first time I ever went to a therapist, it was a okay experience, but he, he was, he just listened. You just sat there and listened to me. And I guess it was great to talk, but I never got any feedback. I didn't get any. And and it was hard to navigate my insurance. And I had to like question the claims because they're like, what, you know, the co- they didn't code this right. And so it's just very difficult to navigate that world. It's a very medical, it's become a very medical world. It's dependent on health insurance. Access is difficult. Even the companies that have now pivoted to like online companies that say we offer therapy. It's very easy. They have problems and issues of access and availability and the right therapist. So it's definitely a vulnerability in our communities that we haven't figured out how to fill without these gurus and coaches. What's unfortunate is mental health. It's talked about enough. I, I, I'm not going to say it's not mm-hmm. talked about enough. It is talked about. The problem is there's not enough information about it out there. And we need to be very clear that mental health is, it's a, it's a spectrum. There are some people that need a therapist 
There are some mm-hmm. people that need a psychiatrist. Yep. There are some people that need to be medicated and there's some people that need to go work out and release endorphins. There's, you know what I mean? Or walk right. or spend time by themselves. Um, in the last couple of weeks, uh, I, I actually had this revelation with you the other day that we've, Steph and I have talked a lot about how a lot of Rachel's content was ableist mm-hmm. and, you know, the five to thrive, you need to move for 30 minutes every day and wake up an hour earlier and cut out something from your diet whatever else that was gratitude, I think. And I have an autoimmune disease, but I had never put together the fact that it was ableist against me because it was impossible for me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing goes for mental health. Like if yep. you, the, the things that she preaches and the, the problematic, um, hurtful practices that she engages in, um, it's, it's, it, it can be very harmful for people. And sometimes what they really need is a good therapist or something to, to help them through it. Well, to somebody with training, because that's, or the even one... a friend, that's yeah. the other part about this right. is that a she lot doesn't of people, have friends, right. And a lot of people who reached out for her content, me included, didn't have somebody I could talk to about the stuff that I was going through. Yeah. And so community. what I really, right. What I really needed from this was community or a friendship or something. And that's yes. what they felt like they were getting with her. Yeah. Someone put that in our last video, YouTube comment. It was like, wow, I really didn't realize how much I had a deep need for community. Right. And that's what this was. Um, another person on Reddit said, if I added anything, I wish people knew is that many of the things about Rachel aren't unique to just her. It's the whole industry, all the quotes, all the advice. It's all the same. They're all plagiarizing something from somewhere. Some of it may be more recognizable, um, but they just regurgitate the same stuff today. Um, she just happened to be a tippy top one that let the facade slip. The whole industry is problematic. Um, once you've read a few, you've read on all. And I agree as someone who I've read Gabby Bernstein. I've read, um, I've gotten to Tony Robbins stuff. Like I, I am Mel Robbins doesn't mesh with me. I don't know why I've always kind of had like a, intuition about her, but, um, yeah. And like, they all say the same thing. It's all being regurgitated. That's why her finance podcasts now are so frustrating. Cause it's like, she starts it off with like, nobody's saying this. And it's actually Rachel, you're actually copying a lot of people that said this. Um, another person said they found her very motivating. She's truly an awesome public speaker. Um, and this is someone who speaks for work. And so they were very inspired by her when she talked. And I saw that a lot in the Reddit stories of how compelling she is, how, how compelling she is as a speaker, how compelling she is with her stories. Um, and then this is the one that said, I have a theory. I liked her because I came from a church background, but I don't believe anymore, especially in person. Her conferences have a very church youth conference vibe that I actually think I'm drawn to coming from that world. I actually like the preachy. Now your life is going to change confidence. And I'm used to that from before. Um, so of course now I know it's all a sham, but I do think that made me open to her style. And I'll agree as someone who used to work at Christian conferences and would hear those messages and altar calls. And like, today is going to be the day that changes your life. You're going to be a different person from here. Point. 
like you're going forward because right. Jesus is going to change you. You're going to get that miracle from God. You're going to like, this is write this date down. This is the day you're changed by God. I heard that all before. And it's the same stuff that happens with self-help. So it's right. very interesting. Another person, see if I can find him and I'll kind of wrap up with this one. Um, this person said, I think for many women, myself included, I am well-educated and a successful person, but was in a tough and lonely place. I was laid off from my vice president job and had to relocate to job search. I listened to girl, wash her face, driving to work. And it gave me the push to just keep going. The original Facebook group had so many different and nice women. I met someone posting about virtual races who three years, three years later is still one of my closest friends. Then it all exploded into a shit storm and the curtain fell and we moved on. Seeking self-improvement support from motivational speakers isn't inherently a bad thing. It's knowing when what's being peddled isn't a benefit anymore, or in this case is a toxic lie and then moving on. So I think that's important because sometimes the narrative can be, it's just these really weak, vulnerable women. And it's not, we may be in a weak position where we may have a vulnerability that's being exploited, but in general, on the outside, Nobody that knows me would describe me that way. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, uh, and I'm, this is not to like toot my own horn, but nobody that I've ever worked with or has ever given me the feedback that I'm weak, that I'm even vulnerable. If anything, I've gotten the exact opposite at work, (laughs) which is like, you talk too much. You're too critical. You need to calm down. (laughs) Like, I I get that feedback. So that's what I think is fascinating is like even people who present in a confident, you know, manner have vulnerabilities. Right. So 100%. I really appreciate these stories. I think it helps people see how easily, especially women. And we were talking about this before the podcast, like there's a lot going on in the world of women right now that is really cool, but also we're all working through shit right now. And um, it's interesting to see in these stories that these vulnerabilities that we know we have as women in this society, how Rachel used them. And I hope that by talking about them, by recognizing, like, if you have financial vulnerability, a lot of us do career vulnerability. Oh my God. Mother vulnerability, um, being a wife vulnerable, being a friend, just being um, an achiever, being looking successful, um, you know, we're all susceptible. And I think the more we are honest about it, the more it becomes normal and we're not trying to fix it. I don't have, I have, I have the answers that I found for myself, but I don't have answers for you. (laughs) And that's the issue. One of them that I find is that vulnerabilities are also very parallel to things that we want to work on. So maybe it's a vulnerability, but it's also something that, um, like as a wife, I had a vulnerability with regard to that when I found Rachel's content. And the answer wasn't that I needed Rachel to tell me how to have a better marriage. The answer was that I needed to figure out how to have a better marriage with my husband. There's only two people in that relationship. Rachel's not one of them. And that's, it can be something that you want to work on, but like, it's the person that you are going to qualified to give you advice on the subject that you are trying to learn Mm -hmm. because that 
that really is the problem. Looking back, what I think happened is Rachel built her career as a mommy blogger, as a food blogger, and she built a community around that. And that community fed her their vulnerabilities via DMs, emails, comments. And she was able to craft Girl Washer Faced around all of those vulnerabilities. She was able to piece in stories of her life to make it feel very relatable to the every girl, every woman that was going through this. And it it provided a great jumping off point for everybody to get into her brand. And they continued to give her their vulnerabilities and comments. And she continued to market content around solving your, your vulnerabilities, the criticisms that you have about yourself. She was never qualified to do any of that. Right. The most, the thing she was most qualified to do is that freaking home cooked meals cookbook that she wrote. That's that's where her qualifications stopped. And her Huffington post. Like if you click on a Huffington post article, she wrote, and then you click her name, it gives you all the articles she wrote. And so while she wrote a few self-help advicey ones, majority of them are really good. They're like really good Pinterest things. You know, it's like, here's five ways to do a tablescape, you know, like, right. You know, like how she got on Disney for the pirate party, like a very Pinteresty things. Like she's, she's very good at that. Very qualified for that. Um, but I will also add, cause I think in terms of misogyny, there is a level of misogyny here in that she saw that Tony Robbins could do it as a man. So why not her? And I, I think about that a lot because I don't know if it's just men are embarrassed to talk about how much they've been swindled by self-help gurus. So you don't see a podcast of two former Tony Robbins people calling him out. Well, to be fair, I haven't seen any former Rachel Hollis fans call her out. Yeah, I guess so. I just, I can see. Publicly like this, I mean. I can see a world where men get away with this. So why can't she? Yeah. You know, I I see that. Whether or not this was um, intentional or subconscious level. Right. I think it straddles. I think a lot of her decisions straddle one or the yeah. other and it's hard to determine which one. Yeah. Well, and then I just think about like a lot of the Tony Robbins scandals and like, they don't get him canceled. And I wonder if that's because of the protection of the men that he has. I'm like opening a very deep can at the end of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think Heather is as familiar with the shit Tony Robbins has done. So I, I've stayed. I, I've looked at some of his stuff. I'm really not a fan. Yeah. Well, I'm really not a fan. Again, in deconstructing, I remember I found, so I started looking at criticisms and I found a video of where he was talking about me too. And he like, he goes really hard on a stance that is really not okay. Um, and the video went viral and like the woman did all these interviews, but he still has a platform. Like he still has, you know, and it's like, is that the misogyny in self-help? Like, is that what bothers Rachel? Is, is that why Rachel says what she says about her fans? When it may not be true about her fans, it might be true about the industry. Oh, 100%. I mean, 
there, the, the trip that Dave went on when Dave and Rachel opened up the Halls company in Texas, that Brendan Bouchard, and I think Ed Milet and Tom Billiou went like on a camping trip and Dave was invited and not Rachel. And it was a really big issue that they were open about. They downplayed it, but looking back, it seems to be much bigger than they were uh, making it out to be, but it, it wasn't the fans that invited Dave and not Rachel. Right. was the influencers that gave Rachel the come up. Yes. So again, that's, I think that's a nice kind of, is, is that critique really coming from a projection of the experience in the industry? Right. So, but as former fans, it's like, we don't feel this way. (laughs) No, it's like, that's not how we feel. If you want to care, if you want to listen, like we're here. So in wrapping up this episode, I want to, formally say we've said it on reddit a couple times and i think you've said it on tiktok um we're here rachel if you want to do an interview we're more than happy and i like even from a production standpoint i'm happy to have an off-camera conversation you know and then figure out an on-camera conversation like we're not the the goal of having an interview with her is not to make her look worse than she already does she'll do that she'll do that on her own like Depending yeah, I'm on trying how to think of what navigates. I should say <laughs> like if this is an open uh, invitation, which we've said, yeah, many times, like I'm happy to, I'm happy to talk to Rachel. Yeah. We're happy to talk to Rachel on camera, off camera, um, yeah. but anything off camera would be um, open for discussion on. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think the questions that I would have would, would go to, you know, how, what makes you a leader here? What, what makes you think that you can lead someone if these are the things that you're battling through and, and really why teach from the wounds and not from the scars and why lead yeah. people to believe that you've got scars to teach from when you didn't in the first place. Right. And what does, um, I think for me, it's like, what does the work actually look like? I, I just want to call her bluff on that bullshit, especially as someone who had to do DE and I training in grad school and like, you know, work deep in the space when I was in higher ed. And so it's like, I just want to call her bluff and be like, can you just give me a book, anything like show you did any work, please just like, just share. I like genuinely think that's helpful for a lot of people response to that. Remember was I'm not going to share because that's not about that. This is work that has to be done privately, but obviously we, we take a different stance. So, but but yeah, open, but at her conferences, we didn't do work privately. We let all our trauma out. Like like a bleeding heart. It's just so, oh, okay. No, I'll be as nice as I can if she wants to interview us, but I think it's fair for her to hear some of the pain and frustration. Fair enough. And I think it would go a long way if she wants to continue her career, but apparently she wants to get into manifesting. So with that being said, we're going to manifest out of here. Yeah, this is this is the the final Rachel Hollis episode, and so that which brought us together is that which will um, live as our first series on the Relatable AF podcast, and we shall now venture into new new waters, as Dave would say. Is still unwritten. No, it's really not. We have quite a docket, <laughs> but um, like I said, I'm I'm gonna poke and prod Heather to do Jen Shaw next. Yeah. Which I, th- I think would be good. Um, just cause there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of Twitter trolls that want to talk about it. 
So if you have any comments on Jen Shaw or Real Housewives legal matters, mm-hmm. leave them in the comments in the YouTube video or send them to Rachel at relatableafpodcast.com. Yeah. And also um, send other topic ideas. Uh, we're not going to make the promise that we're going to cover them because one of the things I think Heather and I are both very passionate about is to stay true to ourselves and to cover topics that actually have some kind of overlap in our lives instead of just commenting to comment. Um, so there may be things that you say that we're like, this is really good. I think someone it's, else covered it or it's part you know, of the reason like why, if you look at last week's episode, if you watched on YouTube, if you haven't, like both Steph and I had like, it was so, we felt like it was dry and watching myself back. It was like, man, smile, Heather, you're lifeless in this video, but it's because we were going through it such a tedious timeline. Yeah. It's like versus going this episode where I anticipate when I watch it back, it'll all be a different person than I was last week, but we want to yeah. make sure that we bring the energy that, that you guys deserve because you guys are yep. giving us your time. So this is a long way to wrap up. So leave us a review, share with a friend, subscribe, um, subscribe, hit all the buttons, make the platforms happy. Um, It means a lot for us. It gets the word out and we just appreciate your support so much. So have a wonderful day, week, and yeah, that's it for us. We will see you guys here next week. Yes. Bye. Bye. Every kiss before. No, I've got their song stuck in my head. Nothing but a waste of breath. Anyway. <laughs> You're going to use this shit for the bloopers. I know you. And <laughs> that's why you're not doing anything. You have to include yourself in the bloopers next time. Good. No. No, you're... I don't have bloopers. I'm perfect. That right there. That one. <laughs> okay, let's go. Go. Hold on. Get my back situated. All right, old lady. Out. Well, I, yeah. I know. Were you in choir? Aluminum, linoleum, aluminum. Yeah, I know. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then. Mama Mimi Mashua M&M's. That's what we used to have to do. Again, again, spring, summer is country season. I understand this about me. Okay. Sun's out, guns out, country out. I'm, I just, this is, R&B is for the, for the fall. What? No, country is definitely for the fall. No. No. (laughs) Alexa make an announcement. Everybody get off of the Bluetooth and recording a podcast on my AirPods and you are fucking it up. Announcement. Everybody get off of the Bluetooth and recording a podcast on my AirPods and you are fucking it up.